0: Man, God is good. (laughs) Let's rewind. God is good. All the time. time. Amen. We serve a very good God. He's great. He loves us. And I'm excited about this morning. Um, as, As you probably are aware, we've been going through our foundation series. We're about midway point at this point in time. We spent the first three weeks just building this biblical foundation, understanding of what we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Not just to have more knowledge about that, but to in turn respond to who God is um, and all these attributes of God that uh, we come in here and we worship and we praise Him about. And so um, I'm excited this morning because that flows in. Uh, to what we're going to be discussing not only today but for the next several weeks to wrap up this foundation series uh, is now we're going to turn our attention to the gospel and what is the gospel and the power of the gospel and the dangers if we don't live in the gospel and for the gospel as we'll see. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to the New Testament book of First Corinthians. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts Romans, or yeah, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 15. And we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 8 of uh, 1 Corinthians. And as you make your way there, I just want to kind of give you a little background about uh, the letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Corinth. Uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul. We know from the book of Acts that Paul spent 18 months in Corinth uh, establishing this church and building it up and planting this church. And during that time, uh, he, he spent ministering and strengthening the church before he would continue on in his missionary journey. Uh, the city of Corinth was a very important city to the world in which Paul lived. The Roman world is located on a very uh, small strip of land where it connected the, the western Roman Empire to the Eastern Roman Empire. So they saw a lot of trade go in and out through the city. Um, Because there was a lot of money in the city, the city was uh, impacted by a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance. Um, It had entertainment, uh, high value in entertainment. There's a lot of social structures going on. There was fighting for positions, uh, a lot of money coming through, a lot of pagan worship. It was impacted by different sort of nations and religions. All in the city of Corinth where Paul Uh, now writes this letter that we refer to as 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians. Just a little head note, uh, 1 Corinthians is not the first letter that Paul wrote to these believers. Uh, We know that if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he mentions of another letter. Um, So we don't have everything he wrote to them, but God has given us this particular letter to learn from it. And the issue that Paul is dealing with, and this will bring us to chapter 15, the issue that Paul is dealing with in the church of Corinth, the body of believers, he's writing to believers at this point in time, is that the church has become plagued and infected with the surrounding worldviews in which it was located. And so within the church, if you read through this letter, this is not a letter that Paul is lifting the church up. The church has become a spiritual mess. Uh, they have pride and arrogance in there. They're having issues on who's better and, and who's uh, more important in the church. They're having issues on understanding uh, leadership within the church and gifts of the spirit within the church and valuing those. And what are the purpose of those? Uh, there's believers that are suing one another in the church. There's un- uh, order or disorderly worship and, and people are... are are having issues of, of getting along with one another, all in this city in which they are to be the light into this pagan world or this idolatrous world. And in the church, there's this massive amount of mess in which Paul is writing and saying, look, you need to wake up. You are building this church which started on a firm foundation in Jesus Christ and God, and you're taking the foundation in which I laid, and you're building all this other junk on it. And as we, we focus on the church here in a couple of weeks, one thing I want us to take as a note here. The church is planted where God planted to impact the community, not for the community to impact the church. See, God put us here that we would take the gospel and the light of salvation and the message of Jesus Christ to the the world. But what we're seeing today in America primarily is the world is impacting the church more than the other way around. And so we're having a lot of issues within churches that we find in Corinthians they're having as well. And a lot of it comes down to this misunderstanding or this forgetfulness of the gospel. You see, the problem the Corinthian believers were having is they actually thought it was about them. They thought it was about who they were in the church and what they could do for the church and and what they brought to the table. And so they were discrediting anybody else who didn't bring what they brought. And they thought they were the ones on display. But as we gather in this place and we sing praises to God, the great are you, Lord. And what you have done, you have overcome the grave. We've got to come to this realization, it's not about us at all. It's not about Pastor Mike, it's not about the deacons, it's not about the elders, it's not about uh, the youth pastor, the worship, pastor, worship team, it's not about anything but Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's beginning to wrap up his first letter that we have to them. And he's bringing them back to remember. Let's begin in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, and that word brothers, that is in a term of endearment. He's saying, those which I love, those which I, I pray for, those which I continuously think about. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul uses that phrase, fallen asleep, to refer that they have died, they have passed on. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one who is untimely born, he appeared also to me. I find it interesting as we come into 1 Corinthians, a lot of us have heard a particular, almost a whole chapter out of this book every time we've gone to a wedding. One of the most popular passages out of 1 Corinthians is chapter 13, known as the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. And if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture read numerous times. And I find it interesting that Paul inserts this love chapter in Corinthians because if you read through the rest of the book leading up to that, this church is a mess. They're having a lot of issues. They're, they're having a lot of things going on, and Paul is bringing it back to the focus of love. Most importantly, the focus of knowing that God loves you. And because God loves you, you should, in fact, turn love people that God has brought into your life, and that includes people in the church, but also within the community that God has placed you in. See, when we come to chapter 15, before we start digging into this understanding of the gospel, we need to understand that all the sin problems that we have in our life, and all the sin problems we see within the church and all the sin problems we see out there in the world is, in fact, a love problem with God. Paul David Tripp writes in his book, Awe, at a deep and often unnoticed level, sin replaces a worship of God for a worship of self. It replaces submission with self-rule. It replaces gratitude with demands for more. It replaces faith with self-reliance. It replaces vertical joy with horizontal envy. It replaces a rest in God's sovereignty with a quest for personal control. You see, in our life, when we have a love problem, a relationship problem with God, it manifests itself in a sin problem. And it will impact not only our life, but the people that God has placed in our life, It'll impact our family, our kids, our grandkids. It'll impact this church. And it'll impact how we can witness to this community. It all comes back to the gospel. God loves us because God loves us. We're called to love Him and to love others. Isn't that our statement? Love God, love people? It sounds so simple, but when we get that first part wrong, it messes everything else In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing this church and he's giving them directions and instructions. And sometimes he's very emphatic. You need to knock it off. You need to stop. This is not the gospel that you are called to. This is not the way you're supposed to be living. This is not what you're supposed to be uh, lifting up and praising. This has nothing to do with the gospel. And so we come to chapter 15 and he's beginning to wrap up this letter. He has to begin with now I remind you brothers of the gospel. The word gospel means what? Okay, means good news. Now we say it all with, you know, The word gospel means good news. Good news. There you go. Deep good news, love it. It means good news. The word gospel comes from the Roman world. And Paul and the apostles, they didn't invent this word. It was already a word that was out in circulation being used in which the world and they were ministering. They took the word gospel and applied it to Christianity. It's originally associated with with emperor worship in Rome. And that the emperor would call a time where they would celebrate with with festivities and, and ungodly things. And they would celebrate who he was as the emperor and what he had done. In order to get the message out that we're going to have a party, he would send out evangels. And so we did evangelicals and we did evangelists, all preaching the gospel because this is what it meant. It means to declare one who is greater than you and for what he has done and to lift him up and celebrate him. So Paul takes this word gospel and he now applies it to Christianity. This is what we are to do. We are to celebrate it. We are to celebrate who God is and what God has done. We are to lift him up and we are to go out as evangelists telling others about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and God. It's a constant celebration. We're called to live in joy. Jesus came to give us joy. By giving us freedom, by saving us from ourselves and our sin. And this is what the gospel reminds us of. If you jump down in verse, uh, beginning in verse three, I want us to focus first on what the gospel is and then the dangers of not remembering this. In verse three, Paul writes, For I delivered you as of first importance. Catch that real quick, as of first importance. What Paul is saying is if you get this part wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. If you forget this, it'll all be for nothing. It's of first importance that I preached you and you received it. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised... Front on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then Paul goes on to talk about it, and he appeared, if you look there in verse 5, he appeared to Cephas, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500. Verse 7, he appeared to James, the end of verse 8, he appeared also to me. This is the Gospel. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died according accordance to the Scriptures. The perfect Son of God, died according to the scripture, according to the will of God for our sins. Paul says it's all of our sins because we all sin, we all fall short. And Jesus Christ, because God loves you and God loves me, he died to take the penalty that we should incur, that we should receive. And he did it because it was according to the will of God. He, He submitted himself completely to God. For our sins. See, what the gospel reminds us of is when I come before a holy God, you know what I bring before a holy God? Sin. Before I came to faith, I was a child of wrath. I was a son of disobedience. I was an enemy to God, before I came into faith. That's who I was. That is what I bring. But Jesus died for me and died for us according to the scriptures, according to the will of God for our sins. So I no longer live in that, but I'm now a child of God. See, when we come to understand the gospel and how much God loves us and is for us, it's not about what we bring to the table. It's what he already did. It has nothing to do We're getting Harvest Hill's name out there. Being the the church to go to or the biggest church in town has nothing to do with that. Because we can do all that stuff and we can still miss the most important thing. It's about Jesus. See, the church in Corinth, they had forgotten that. That's why Paul says, I have to remind you. And we can come to the same place where we can forget what God has done for us. And the way we do it is, a lot of times we just get distracted. We put ourselves first before we put Jesus and put God. We want credit for things that we've done. We want people to recognize how much we are involved. It's not about us. It's about Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The power of the gospel is Jesus died for our sins, but he rose. By his resurrection, we can be completely forgiven. Completely. You're seen as in the righteousness of Christ. By your faith. Nothing I deserve or we deserve. It's, that's the gospel. That's how much God loves you. And so jumping back to verse 1 with me. Verse 1 and 2, Paul says, For I now would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. See, if a first-century church, a first-generation church, be in danger of forgetting the gospel and needing to be reminded, you better believe us in the 21st century are going to need this too. The way we forget the gospel is we either, we don't remember it, we haven't really received it, or we're not preaching it. I want to deal with that. The gospel is not remembered. Paul begins there in verse 1, I remind you, brothers. Now, how do we forget things? How do you forget about things? Just in your normal day life. How do you forget you are busy doing something. You get distracted. It's the same thing for the gospel. We get distracted. We know what we should be doing. We know why we're saved and how we're saved, but we get distracted when we go out into the world. I mean, there's all these flashing lights, right? And we get distracted. We, we begin to focus on self rather than focusing on God, and Paul is reminding the believers that it is the gospel, and if they aren't living the gospel, then it looks as if they have forgotten He's not saying they have completely gone uh, forgetful and they have no recollection of the gospel. If he he meant that, then he would have started where we read chapter 15 and chapter 1. But up to this point, he's reminding them of the way they should be living because of the gospel. But his, his, his conclusion is, you're not living this way. So you're not living a gospel life. You're not living a good news life. And because you're not living this way, it is showing. And I need to remind you of this. It looks as if you have forgotten it. It looks as if you've forgotten why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing as a church, and how you're supposed to be taking the gospel to this community. And Paul's language is one of love, but it's also kind of scratching his head like, what are you thinking? Now, if you have kids, you know how this relates. You ever told your kids to go do something? Clean your room, take your uh, dirty clothes somewhere, flush the toilet, please. Keep it in the toilet, even better. (laughs) And there's times Jamie and I will tell our kids, you know, you need to go pick up your room. Uh, You need to go get dressed, please. (laughs) But there's times we'll tell them they'll run upstairs to their bedrooms and we'll be downstairs for a couple minutes and we'll walk upstairs. You know what we'll find? They didn't do it. Why? They're distracted. Did they forget? No. And how we know we didn't forget? Because we say, uh, sorry, it's usually Abby. (laughs) Abby, what are you supposed to be doing right now? Head goes down, getting dressed, putting clothes away, brushing my teeth, whatever it is. See, it's not that she forgot. It's just that she got distracted. And I think a lot of us, we've been going to church. We've been in a relationship with God for a long time. It's not that we have forgotten the gospel. It's just that the world has distracted us from the gospel. And so we aren't taking the good news to the world like we should be. But instead, we're just like this church in Corinth. We're being impacted more by the world than impacting the world with the gospel. I can barely stand to go on Facebook anymore. It's just junk after junk after junk. And I've noticed in the last couple months and years that Christians have been a a target. You notice this? And I began thinking about that as I was preparing for this, this morning about why... Why so much a target? And there's reasons biblically, you know. It's, it's Satan driving that. But what I see a lot is that people are complaining about Christians, and I think they're complaining because they're not seeing gospel-empowered Christians. They're not seeing Christians that are changed by the message of the gospel. See, that's what the gospel is meant to do. That's what the focus of this letter is to the Corinthians. This is meant to change you. It's meant to make you act differently and to live differently. But it's like you've forgotten. Instead of living for the gospel and living in Christ, you're living in the world. Instead of living in the good news, you're living in world news. Instead of living in the gospel view, you're living in a world view. And so I come and I need to remind you of this. He goes on to say another issue we can have is that it's, it's not received. The gospel is not received. Go If you look there in verse 2, the end of verse 2 is a very sad statement that Paul has to right, you have to keep in mind that he loves these people. And he knows he's preached it. He knows they've, they've received it. He knows they were standing in it when he left, but now he brings this, this thought, unless you believed in vain. And the question is, by the way you're acting, By the way you're treating one another, by your lack of taking the gospel to the world, I have to wonder, did you even get it? By the way they're living, that word in vain, the way it means to be inconsiderate. You ever been around an inconsiderate person? Don't you just love them? They drive you nuts, right? Why? Because they have no thought but for themselves. And this is the language which Paul was led to use here about in vain, is that you are living in such a way that you are being inconsiderate of God's love for you. What a sad place to be. Where people look at the church (laughs) and see no difference in us than what they see in the world. Because we live inconsiderately for God's great love towards us. That's believing in vain. And so Paul has to ask, did you even receive it? But he says, this is what I gave to you, and this is which you stand there in verse verse 1 and into verse 2, in which you are being saved. It means if the gospel is not what we're living for and what we're being found in and what we're declaring to the world, it's really a wonder, did we even get the gospel in the first place? That's what Scripture's saying. That's, that's not Pastor Mike. That's what Scripture's saying. This idea that once we've received the gospel, this phrase in verse 2 by which you are being saved is meaning that it is a continual transformation into becoming the likeness of God and the likeness of Jesus Christ, which should be happening in our lives if we have, in fact, received the gospel. And he's calling that the question to these believers. Did you actually get it? Or did you do it because that was the cool thing to do while I was in town? Did you do it because you felt pressure from someone else, this is what you need to do because this is, is what needs to happen right now? Or did you actually receive it for yourself? One thing that Paul does not give them permission to do is to not preach it. You see, as believers, we don't get to use the excuse that, well, I don't know how it's going to be received if I present the gospel. Never in Scripture are we given that permission. But the calling of every believer is that we are to be evangels, messengers of the gospel. And so that's the, the final issue that Paul has to deal with, is the gospel not preached? I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. New politicians, new laws, new legislations, new faces in higher positions are not going to change this world. It is only the gospel. The issues you see on the news, the issues you see in our schools, the issues you see at your job place, the issues you see in your friends' marriages or their relationships or their families' lives has nothing to do with stuff going on in this world but everything to do with the sin problem in their life. And the gospel is the only remedy to that problem. So we can vote to who we think is the most Christian representative in office. But that's not us taking the gospel to the world. That's not us preaching the gospel. We preach the gospel by words and by actions. We don't need to decide how they'll take it. My dad uh, was about my son, Ethan's age, right? A little, maybe a little before. His father died in the hospital in and out several times and eventually died in the hospital when he died not only left a widow um but five kids an older sister and four herchin brothers and i can give you more stories about herchin boys later my our son's unique she has more he has more jamie in her than herchin i guess but um four herchin boys and uh You know, the world was turned upside down. Well, in the neighborhood they lived in, there was a gentleman that knew this was going on, and he began to invest in my dad's life. He began to invite him to come over to kind of tinker around in the garage and um, help him pick up stuff in the yard and um, just, you know, be around in his life. Give him encouragement. And um, My dad tells me this man... um, told him about Jesus and told him about the Bible and talked to him frequently about those things. Uh, But it, it came to a point where he eventually just invited my dad to go to church with him. My dad's just a boy. Lost his father. My dad was so excited that he grabbed his younger brother, Jerry, to go with him. And even though this man was living the gospel in my dad's life, it wasn't until they got to church that something clicked my dad and my uncle Jerry came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were so excited when they got home, they told my grandma, who's now passed on, uh, my dad's older sister and his two older brothers, uh, you got to come to church and you got to hear about this Jesus. And I don't know how long it took, but over the course of time, every individual in that family came to know the Lord. And even though my grandma passed away several years ago, I know he's with her, with him in heaven. My uncle Donnie passed away a couple years ago, and I know he was saved. And he's in heaven now. My uncle Harold, crazy Harold, (laughs) we'll have to edit that part out, but crazy Harold, um, he's accepted the Lord, spoke at my grandma's funeral. My Uncle Jerry, until he had some medical issues, was preaching for a while. My my cousin Brian was in worship ministry for a while. My dad has been a pastor, I've mentioned that before, and God has used him to lead hundreds to Christ. You all know I'm a pastor. Some of you don't know my brother's also a pastor. And we've seen God use us in incredible ways to see hundreds more come to Christ. It all started from a gentleman I'll never meet on this side of eternity simply living the gospel into a kid's life who's going through a difficult time. He didn't baffle him with theology or doctrine. He just loved on him. One day he invited him to church and, and that kid came and it just snowballed. I stand here because one man loved. So we never know what gospel living and how it will impact eternally. But we do know if we don't live out the gospel and people don't have an opportunity to hear it and respond to it, where they will end up. My promise to you as your pastor is that if you get stumbled about sharing the gospel, my promise to you is I will always share the gospel and give a gospel invitation. Always. And so even if it's just bringing someone to church so they can hear the gospel, do it. You never know what's going to happen. You could change an entire family for eternity. Because that one man, obviously my dad got saved, became preacher, my brother and I are saved. We're preachers. My son Ethan got saved a couple years ago. Still praying for Abby. She, she, she understands it. She gets it. But you just never know. But that's the power of the gospel. It's the gospel. And it's so simple, it's silly, we don't do it. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried, and he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It's the gospel. There's several ways you can do it, but my, my challenge to us all is let's just do it. Okay? Back on the desk before you leave, I'm going to be back in the back door. I've got different ways um, that you can look at sharing the gospel. But you may be here and you've come to a realization that God loves you. And right now, you haven't accepted the gospel. Uh, You may have been in church for a long period of time. You may know how to do church. Um, But there's something in your heart that says, you know what? I'm, I'm not saved. I've yet to accept the gospel. I've yet to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity right here, right now. The gospel is this, is that God created all of us and every human being for a relationship with him. But it's our sins and all the sin. Our sins are what separate us from that relationship. And where we've got to come to understanding is you can't be good enough. You can't do enough good stuff on this earth. You can't um, be a good person as defined by other people. We can't work our way into heaven, but it's only because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins by dying for them, by being buried and rising in, that we can be completely forgiven. And the invitation is this. If you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, God is extending this invitation right now. Because everyone who believes will be saved. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. He rose again that I could be forgiven. And I need to make it known that I believe that. So the gospel is, we must confess it. We must make it be known. So I'm going to stand down here, and if you know that's something you've yet to do, I'm going to invite you to come. But if God's laid you on your heart this morning, you know what? You have not been living in the gospel. It's like you've been completely distracted about it, and you need to repent of that. You just need to come and kneel before the altar. I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. I'm going to ask Jackson, worship team, to come on up. And as I do let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the power of the gospel that has changed my life. Has changed many lives in this place. And Lord, forgive us those times where we completely forget about it and we live more like the world than we do your ways and your will. But Lord, you've commissioned us, you've called us and commanded us to share your good news. And Lord, help us not to take that lightly. Lord, I also pray right now in this place if there's someone that you have revealed that is not your child, they're not saved, and they need to change that today. They need to make a personal confession of faith in you today. Lord, give them the courage to stand up and walk down this aisle. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for rising again and and, and delivering us. Lord, let us live in that good news. Let us put you on display not only in our life, in our family's life, in this life of this church. Thank you, Lord. Praise in your son's name.